just want to uh, invite you all to just cast your mind back. For some of you, this will be more recent, and others, it will be a long time ago. Um, so when you were growing up, what did you want to be? Maybe you wanted to be a paramedic, maybe you wanted to be a plumber. I mean, the list could go on. And for some of you, it probably was something that you wanted to be from when you were very little, and maybe you became it when you, when you got older. Or maybe it changed every week, and you could never actually pinpoint what it quite was that you wanted to be. Well, for me, I wanted to be a mum. That was always, what do you want to be when you're older? I want to be a mum. All of the photos um, of me under the age of probably about 11 were just of me with a toy doll. And it was a different one each day. Didn't really commit to my toys, but just loved, loved carrying my babies around. And people would always say, oh, you don't get it? Like, what I'm asking you is, is like, what, what occupation do you want? What do you want to be paid for? What do you want your career to be? And I think if I was to have that conversation now, I'd say, actually, I don't think you get it. I was created to nurture, to look after. They are things that God has given me. And actually, for me, I saw that way beyond the paid profession. And don't get me wrong, whatever you're doing in life is amazing, and I'll be the first to champion you in that. But I think what we want to look at this morning is a little bit further. So sometimes in church, we look at our secondary calling, and that's your, your day-to-day, how you spend, whether that's a paid job or whether that's volunteering, but how you spend your, your hours is essentially all of our secondary callings. And for some of us, we've got it figured out, and we'll probably have to figure it out again and again. And for some of us, that might be, we might still be in that process of figuring it out. And last week, Joel very kindly and the Holy Spirit set this this talk up for me. I was going to talk a lot about calling, but actually I don't need to because you just go back and watch his, and and we can just dig right in. So I'm going to invite Selby up, um, or Alicia is um, what her former name is, and she's going to come and read for us this morning. We're going to read from Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. So if you go right to the end of Matthew, it's the last section. And for some of you, this might have been something you've heard before. You might think, ah, oh, not another talk on the Great Commission. But I just want to encourage you to just think with, with a different mindset, to think, okay, I've never heard this bit of scripture before. God, what can I learn from this right now? So I'm going to ask Alicia to read it once, to take a pause, and to read it a second time, because we never actually listen the first time. Okay, so then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I'll read that again. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thanks, Alicia. Yeah, so essentially, Matthew um, is in one of the Gospels, it's in the New Testament, and there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew um, 
essentially, it talks about, um, so we see, we see Jesus' ministry, um, and that is when he's with his disciples, and we see his death um, in this book, um, in this chapter, and we also then see um, the guards report, and then right at the end, as Alicia's just read, is the Great Commission. And essentially, this is what, this is the last words that Jesus is saying to his disciples. So kind of if you imagine um, the last thing that you would say before you're saying goodbye to someone. Like this, this is important. Like you wouldn't leave just, you know, you wouldn't say something very insignificant, especially if you're Jesus. You, you would want your last words to be significant and to be important. And ultimately, probably to be remembered. Like you're probably not going to remember what I say, but you're probably going to remember what I say at the end. And that's, I think that's real significance in when Jesus tells his disciples. So we're just going to look at seven words today. I thought I'd just start, start off simple. So we're going to look at um, ch- uh, verse 19, which is, go and make disciples of all nations. might seem quite simple, but he's going to break it down to make it even more simple so that we can understand it this morning. So the first word, go. I don't need to teach you all uh, English. I'm sure we all know what the word go means. But sometimes I think we question this. We think it means go when you're confident, or go when you feel ready, or go when you're equipped. And actually, if it meant that, wouldn't it say that? I think there's real significance in how short and sweet that two-letter word is that says go. I'm a bit of an English nerd, and I just love to know the meanings of words. And I actually looked into this, and the noun definition, so the, the name definition, is just purely relocate. You know, we all, we all know what that means. It means to move from one space to another. But actually, the verb definition is to give something a go, to have an attempt. It might just be me, but I find so much permission and freedom in that, that essentially what I took from that is Jesus saying, go, go make mistakes. Maybe go, go mess up, but actually, I just want you to go. I don't want you to go and be perfect but it's the, the attempt and the fact that you're moving, you're taking that one step out from where you were before. As I said before, the Bible doesn't tell us to go when we feel ready. It just says to go. And actually, that's quite short and sweet and simple, isn't it? So that's my first point today, is to just go. If you, want, if you wondered whether you're a missionary or whether Jesus was wanting to give you confirmation or a sign, before you went out, then here it is, just go. So make disciples is the next bit of this verse. I'm definitely gonna butcher this, but just bear with me. So the Greek word for make disciples is Matthias. I think that's how you say it, probably not. But that means to be a learner or a pupil. I'm sure we've all been in some form of education, we've all been a learner and a pupil. So that is an unfamiliar language. But what does that mean to be a learner and pupil under God's authority? Ultimately, we're all being discipled by something or by someone. Whether we're being discipled by porn on how to lust after men and women, or whether we're being discipled by our boss on how to objectify um, and put money as the, the thing that we're going for in life, or whether we're being discipled by each other and being led in the way of Jesus, Ultimately, we are all disciples, and we're all being discipled by something. But I don't think this is what Jesus is talking about here. So when he's saying make disciples, it's that spiritual disciple. 
that he cares so much more than just what's going on out here, but it's what's in our heart, and that's what he really cares about. So I want to ask you this, church. If your friends, family, and neighbors have never read the Bible before, they might have heard of it, but they've never read any bit of scripture, and they were to look at your life, what story would they learn about the gospel? Would it be a story of redemption, where they see the pain in your life, but actually they see that Jesus is ultimate? Or is it a story of lust, where they just see that you're never satisfied and you're always wanting more? Ultimately, the gospel, if any of you have ever read any form of the Bible, you know that it is not all rainbows. But that's not where the story ends. We see the pain, and and Jesus sees the pain that's in our lives. But it's whether we're living a life that is glorified, that is still pointing to him, that even though I'm hurting, Jesus is still the one. I just want you to all imagine that this morning I want to say, live your life like Queen Elizabeth. Quite random, I know, but bear with. So maybe, maybe some of you haven't heard of Queen Elizabeth, and that's fair enough, but I think the majority of us probably know who she is. But if I was to say, live a life like hers, but you'd never actually spent time with her, or you'd never actually read anything about her, or even watched anything, how on earth would we, would we manage to live a life that looks like hers? And it is exactly the same with Jesus. If we are meant to be disciples, that we're showing other people what it is to live a life and to look like Jesus, but we don't spend time with him, but we don't read about him, then we're never ever going to be able to be disciples that look like him. I sure know that when I don't get stuck into scripture, I can see it in my life, and I'm sure my friends can point it out. I become that a little bit more selfish. I become a little bit more impatient. Jesus makes an impact in our life, but scripture is a living bread that can change. So I want to encourage you this morning that whether you absolutely love reading the Bible and it's the thing that you reach for in the morning, or whether actually it's the last thing you think about and it's a have to, maybe try to change your mindset of actually, I get to read this Bible. We are so lucky. Like, there's so many Bibles in this room. There are countries where they have to smuggle them in. I don't know if anyone's ever read God's Smuggler, but I think it changed my life. Second to Jesus, it changed my life. There was people having to get Bibles past borders. Imagine if we treated the Bible as something so sacred that we would break law. I mean, I'm not saying break the law, but if we, were, you know, we had to go to those, those extremes just to read it, when actually my Bible was in my room, but I just didn't go to it. So wherever you're at with the Bible, I just want to encourage you, even if it's one verse, to just chew on it. Even if it's the seven words that we spoke about today, and you chew on that for the, for the rest of the month, it will change you. So the last bit is that of all nations. So we've looked at the go, and we've looked at the make disciples, and next we're going to look at the of all nations. Now this absolutely is talking about seeing all different nations and cultures and seeing the world transformed, and people coming to know and to know Jesus. But ultimately, I think sometimes it's helpful to put it in our own context. 
that we're probably not all meant to be abroad and meant to be missionaries and being sent out into, into another country, but actually we're meant to be missionaries right where we are. So I just want you to imagine your context. And it doesn't even have to be what we talked about earlier on with your, with your secondary calling, but it could just be the neighborhood that you're in, the job that you're in, the, um, the house that you're in. And I want you to think about this. So if we're going to make disciples of all nations, what does it look like to make disciples of all university students, of all police officers? What does it look like for us to think about our context and replace the all nations? God absolutely cares about the all nations, and he wants to see them, but he also cares about our local context and how we can make a difference right where we are. There are different ways that people will come to know Jesus. The way that I came to know Jesus was through seeing the impact. I saw people's lives being transformed around me. And for me, that transformation wasn't necessarily from people who were addicted and then were free. For me, it was just simple. Uh, I just noticed that she actually was a lot more patient with me or that people just loved me a little bit more. They went the extra mile. For me, that was the heart, and I just knew that had to be something more than what I'd seen before. But maybe for some of you in the room, you love the facts, you love the history, and that's what really matched up, and that's how you came to know faith. So I really want to encourage you that we all have different stories, that whether you know Jesus or not in this room, that ultimately you will come from a different place, and that is needed, and you will also spread the gospel in different ways. The way that JT can talk so confidently to his friends about Jesus is amazing and such a gift from God. But that might not be the way that you show Jesus. It might be that you come prayer walking and you just want to join in the mission. You want to join in with the heavenly and what God's doing. Or it might be that that you do football on a Saturday evening. I don't know when football happens, but maybe that's not right. Um, And you, you just tell your friends, oh, tomorrow I'm going to church and you just tell your friends about Jesus. It could be over coffee. I don't need to stand here and and give all of the examples, but I just want to encourage you that being a missionary isn't just being sent abroad, but it's actually being sent out. I googled the the definition, because as I said, I love words. And the, um, the definition of being a missionary was being sent on a religious mission. Now, that doesn't mean being sent abroad That means being sent on a religious mission in your context. What does it look like if God is sending you on a religious mission in the staff room at work tomorrow? What does it look like if God is sending you on a religious mission when you're watering your plants this afternoon? Your religious mission and your your context is going to vary, and that is amazing. And I want us all to see the individual play John Wimber talks about it all the time. We all get a part to play. And that's not just people who feel like they're evangelists and feel that it's the most natural thing to tell people. But actually, I'm sure they started somewhere. I'm sure John Wimber himself probably didn't come out of the womb excited to have people like Jesus. He went on a journey, and I'm sure it took steps. And I just want to encourage us that as a church, that that is our primary calling. That is what we are created for, We have purpose to tell people about Jesus. So we just talked about the seven words. Go and make disciples of all nations. 
But how do these seven words change your life? Do they? Should they? We're just going to look at the very last thing. As I said before, I think there's a real significance in the order and the way that Jesus says things. And I don't think it's a mistake that this was the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This whole message wasn't just for the 12 disciples, but actually we're all disciples and this is all for us. How amazing is it that God is saying, I'm with you always? That's not saying, here's a mission and it's really impossible and you're never actually going to achieve it and just go and do it by yourself. But he's that father that is holding our hand and he's taking every step with us. And he's not, I'm with you sometimes, but I'm with you always. This, this section in the Bible could have been called the Great Mission, and I'm sure it would have had the same effect, but actually it's the co-mission. It's in co-partnership with God. We're not meant to do this alone. Ultimately, me standing here is the Holy Spirit speaking. I wasn't going to share this, but I feel like the Lord wants me to. So when I was doing my um, GCSE, we all had to do a speech. Maybe some of you are familiar with that. And I'd written out this speech. I love writing and spent a lot of time on it. And when it came down to standing in front of my class, it's probably about 30 people, I just buckled. And I absolutely wept. And I just couldn't do it. I'm not someone who is a natural speaker. But God is in me. And I know that he's got, he's got a word. And in the same way, if there's places or things in your life where you feel, I can't do that, then what a great opportunity to actually invite God into that. Because in our weakness, that's when we can see him. And how much better is it to give the glory to him, knowing that he's the one that's actually made a difference, not you. If there's anything that you take away from this morning, I want it to be that this is a co-mission, that there's, if you just look around, you see people sitting next to you. They're your partners in this. We're not meant to just be sent out as individuals, but we're meant to all just flood out of this church. I would have loved for us to just physically walk out, but for the practicalities of that would not be very good. But just imagine us all just walking out. Like, we'd, have, we'd be fighting over who to get through the door first. Imagine if that was the type of church that we were, that we were so outward-looking that we literally had to shove people out of the way to get out the door.